Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue our study, and the theme on is the body life, body life. And last time we were together, <clears throat> we looked at the first four, or we looked at the four characteristics of the old man, that is the old life before Christ. This morning we're going to look at the, the, the four characteristics of the new man in Christ and the new walk. The new man's nature and ways, the title this morning, the new man's nature and ways. And we're going to look at verses 20 through 24 of chapter 20 this morning. Kind of just give a little overview uh, of a review of what we did last week, what we talked about. Paul compares the new walk this morning with the walk of the Gentiles that he spoke about the last time we were together. And he said in chapter 4, this chapter, verse 17, he said, You should no longer work as the rest, walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. The new man in Christ is the opposite of the old man of the flesh. And the old man, that is the old life, is self-centered and it's unfruitful. The new man is Christ-centered and fruitful. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And the key word is abides. He said, he who abides in me and I in him. That's how the relationship progresses. That's how it grows. Because the word abides means to maintain unbroken fellowship with one. So what he's saying, he says, if you maintain an unbroken fellowship with me and I with you, you will bear much fruit. The old man is unaware of God's truth. And the new man knows and understands God's truth. The old man is morally and spiritually hardened, calloused, not ashamed. The new man is sensitive to all sin. The old man is depraved in his thinking. The new man is renewed in his mind. And after Paul reviewed the sinfulness of the pagan world and the self-centered meaningless, uncontrolled wickedness that comes from and leads to spiritual darkness and ignorance, Paul then said this to the believers who had fallen back into such a degrading condition. Verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. And speaking of what you know, he just mentioned in verses 17 through 20 that we went to, were together with last time. He says, you have not so learned Christ. You didn't learn those things. We didn't teach you those things before. So here's the first characteristic of the new man, is the walk of the new man. It's Christ-centered. Believers knew better than to live like the Gentiles. They'd been taught how to live a different life. They, taught, they were taught how to live a better lifestyle. Believers have been taught the truth. And the world is taught error. The philosophies of the world teach evil philosophy. They don't abide by the truth. That's not the way of Christ or of his kingdom or family. You, have not, you, you are not to take part in any of those things in any way because God's ways and the ways of the world are not compatible. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 7, through 17, he said, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? 
And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial or Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Now there are some Christians who think that a Christian doesn't have to part with anything or change anything when he becomes a Christian. And that they can keep on living in sin thinking that they're acceptable to God, which is totally unbiblical. A.W. Tozer said this, A whole generation of Christians has come up believing that it's possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. And it seems like a lot of Christians now believe as a doctrine of faith that Jesus died to redeem their sin instead of dying to redeem them from their sin. This, is a, this, this subtle twist of Satan makes a huge difference in salvation. Matthew one twenty one, we read, And she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He doesn't save us in our sins meaning we can continue to sin because Jesus died for our sins. No, he saves us from our sins. A.W. Tozer said this, God's grace will save a man, but he will not save a man in his idol. The blood of Christ will shield the penitent sinner alone, but never the sinner and his idol. Faith will justify the sinner, but it will never justify the sinner and his sin. And don't confuse God's grace for carnal indulgence. In other words, God, hey, I can do whatever. I can live however because of God's grace. Don't look at God's grace as a dumping ground for sin. In other words, go ahead. You can sin. Grace will cover it. The Bible says in John, 1 John 1, 7, that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice, cleanses us from all sin. Doesn't cleanse us from excuses. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a wonderful promise and it's a true promise, but it's not an excuse to sin. This kind of thinking, that is, that the Christian doesn't have to forsake anything or change anything and can keep on living in sin is based on the idea of God's grace being wonderful and abundant and keeping people from works by righteousness, this will only lead people down the road to destruction. The Bible says that salvation comes through repentance. And repentance means a change of mind and behavior about sin and God. The whole reason for receiving Jesus Christ is to be saved from this perverse generation. And nobody is saved who does not repent and turn away from their sin. God won't save us from our sins if we're not willing to let go of them. And to hold on to sin is to refuse God and it shows respect for his grace and it nullifies faith. No Christian is totally free from the presence of temptation of sin in his life as long as we're in this body. But in Christ, he's willingly freed from his tendency to sin. Hey, we slip and we fall many times. But the determined direction of our life is always away from sin. Paul said in Romans 6, 1 and 2, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, certainly not. In Romans 6, 18, Paul said, Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. 
One of the first things a Christian needs to learn is that he can't trust his own thinking or depend on his own way. He can, but he's doing it against God's word. Solomon said in Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Jeremiah 10, 23, he said, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul said, And he died for all, and that those who live should, no longer, uh, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Proverbs 3.5-7, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes, for fear the Lord, and depart from evil. You know, Jeremiah said that we, we cannot direct our own steps. That's why we need a shepherd to lead us, to guide us. The Christian has the mind of Christ. So we can only depend on his mind. Because the psalmist said, the Lord knows the thoughts of man and that they are futile. The obedient, faithful Christian is the one who thinks, acts, loves, feels, serves, and lives Christ in every way. Like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ. To Paul, living means living for Christ. This means a dedication of doing my best for Christ, like no other when it comes to character. Paul's whose whole Paul's whole life was wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Now today, a lot of people idolize uh, young people idolize uh, some of the most disgraceful personalities, you know, like, like movie stars and sports stars and 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 music, you know, movie and celebrities, just you know, uh, some of the, the the worst kind. But being devoted to Jesus Christ is the greatest star of all because the Bible says he's the bright and morning star. He shines in the darkness of this world. To live as Christ means to, to, that, that Jesus comes first in one's life. And for that reason, Jesus determines our priorities for us. Everything one does submits to Christ in importance. He's the one I prioritize my life around. Paul's whole life was devoted to Jesus Christ. His energy, his thoughts, his desires, they were all focused on Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. No devotion will clean up a person's life so much as a devotion to Christ. Because you see, we have the mind of Christ. We are to think and to act and to love like Jesus did. To be like Jesus in every way possible. We see in the second characteristic of the new way and, and nature of Christ. The new man knows God's truth. Look at verse 21 now. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul strengthened his warning back in verse 20 with an argument from the spiritual experience of his readers. The emphasis is again on the mind or the outlook of the believer. In verse 20, Paul said, You have not so learned Christ. 
In other words, he, he, he didn't say you have not so learned about Christ. Because you can say you learn about Christ. You can say that you learn about Christ, but never be saved. You can know a whole, whole lot about Christ and still not be saved. To learn Christ means to have a personal relationship with Christ so that you get to know him better every day. I, you know, I can learn, let's use A.W. Tozer, for example. I, I, I love his books. I love his writings. I can learn about, a lot about A.W. Tozer because I own many of his books. I've men, read many of his books. I have you know, books about his life. But I can never learn him because he's dead. But Jesus Christ is alive. So I can learn Christ through a personal fellow, uh, fellowship with him. And this fellowship is based on the word of God. I can be taught the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. And the better I understand the word of God, the better I know the son of God. Because the whole Bible is a revelation about the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to the unsaved man, he is spiritually unaware. While the Christian is knowledgeable in the things of the word. And the unsaved man doesn't know Christ. While the believer grows in his personal knowledge of Christ day by day. Because what we have, we've believed the truth. We have received the life. And as a, and as a result, we will walk in the way, which is Jesus. And not walk in the way of the unsaved world. And instead of being ignorant of God's truth, the Christian has heard Christ and has been taught by him. And when a person receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they come into God's truth. They come into God's truth. If anyone is not listening to Jesus, then Jesus must not be their Savior. Because you see, the Lord Jesus is the shepherd. And his sheep hear his voice. And if you haven't heard his voice, then you're not one of his sheep. <clears throat> I want to read a couple of verses, very important verses for us to understand what they're saying and not maybe what we think they're saying. It's John chapter uh, 10, verses 27 and 28. But a lot of times you'll hear, you'll hear verse 27 quoted when it comes to my security in Christ. And this is what you've, and maybe you've shared the same thing. And you may have had others share it with you. And this is what it says. And I, Jesus, give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And that's true. If you understand verse 27. And a lot of times they don't read 27 with 28. This is what verse 27 says. It says, my sheep... That's an important thing to remember. My sheep. Now, who are his sheep? He says, I know them. No, he says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. Notice he's singling, he's singling out here a distinct people. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. Those who hear my voice. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. It's not a blanket statement that says it's about all sheep. Because there are a lot of sheep that don't hear his voice. 
There are a lot of sheep that Jesus doesn't know. There's a lot of sheep that don't, know, that don't follow him. Therefore, they don't have eternal life. And will perish. You see, this is the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him. Remember, Jesus said to those that, they, that, that, that thought they knew him, I never knew you. I never knew you. That's why verse 27 and 28 of John 10 are so important. Because he's making a distinction between two different kinds of sheep. Those who hear me, I know them, they follow me. But then he said to those in Matthew chapter 7, Hey, I don't know you. Depart from me. Only those who hear his voice and only those who follow him are safe and secure in their salvation. There is no promise for those who aren't following him or they stop hearing and following. Now, what will change the Gentiles' old nature? What do they need to do? Well, they're to listen to the truth about Jesus. And they're to be taught by him. And those who are not his sheep will not hear him. The truth is, Jesus, it's in Jesus alone. You know, he said, I am the truth. There is no other truth. And there's no reason for any believer not to know the truth. There's no reason to be in the dark today. There's no reason to be ignorant or blind about the truth because Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life, John 8, 12. And then in verse 22, we have the third characteristic of the new, man, the new man and the new walk. The new man is delivered from the old self. Look at verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. This experience of salvation goes a lot deeper than this because it's resulted in a whole new position before God. The old man or the, the former life, the former self, has been put away. And now we can walk in the newness of life through Christ. Verses 22, 23, and 24 are a summary of Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, where Paul explained that the believer's relationship with Christ was in death, burial, and his resurrection. He also dealt with this in Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, as well as Colossians chapter 3. As Christians, we haven't just changed our minds. We have totally changed our behavior, our citizenship. We belong to God's new creation in Christ. And as a result, the ideas and desires of our old life should no longer control our lives because now I have new ideas and I have new desires and I have a new power in Christ. To show the transforming nature of the new birth, Paul goes on to describe more completely to his readers what they heard and were taught about what really happens when, Jesus, when, when someone comes to Christ. The believers were to stop behaving like they were behaving before they were saved. He says, put off, put off concerning your former conduct. And this speaks about your entire behavior. Every area of your behavior from the past was to be stopped. He said, put it off, lay it down. The old man, the term the old man, is a term used to symbolize the fleshly nature of man. This was the nature that ruled them uh, until they got saved, their former life. It ruled us before it got, we got saved. 
is to be rejected, Paul said, is to be put off, is to be laid down as a way of life or the way of life. Here's the corruption that's to be put off. He said, notice there, deceitful lust. De deceitful lust. The way of life of the believer before he was a believer is to be put off. Such a life is described as behavior that was corrupt and devious. And that's the nature of sin. He said, put off the old man. Put off the old man is related to what you have heard and what you've been taught in the gospel. Now, these aren't things that we do. These aren't things that we can do. These are not human works. Putting off the old man, putting off the old deeds. It's something that we work at. It's not something we work at that, that we need to do to be saved. But they're the natural results of God's work of salvation. If I'm saved, these things will happen in my life. Because of what God's done in my life, not because of what I do. What Paul says here is basically a description of repentance from sin and submission to God. That's often taught as the basics of regeneration. Compared to the unregenerate person, the unsaved person who continually resists and rejects God and lives in the world of sin that, that rules their life, that is the old way of life, the Christian has heard the call to put off that life, to put off the old self. And the words to put off, the words to put off is the idea of, of, of old filthy clothes. It suggests a one-time action done by the believer the moment that they're saved. You know, you're saved in a moment, but it takes a lifetime to be a Christian. It's a never-ending work that Jesus does in your life. We are to put off the old man and we're to put on the new man the same way we change our clothes. That's the meaning of it. It's like putting off an old, dirty garment and then putting on a garment that's new, fresh, and clean. The putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new man cannot be done by, on our own works. It can't be done by working real hard at it and doing my best to imitate Christ's lifestyle because it's already been done for the believing sinner by the death of Christ. We're like babies who can't dress ourselves. As Christians, we never get to the place where we, can't where we can stop trying. It's already been done for us. In Romans 6, 6, Paul says, The old man has already been crucified with Christ. He said, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So in view of the truth that the old man has already been crucified with Christ, we are to put it off in the power of the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean that the flesh or the old nature is ever totally gone in this life. And we can all attest to that. That old nature, that old man, he's there. And he, he's constantly wanting to rear up his ugly head. He's constantly wanting to rule over us. We don't get rid of the old nature, but we're not to live in it. In other words, we're not to let it control our lives. And we have that ability in Christ to not let it. On the other hand, we do have a new nature which is the result of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. And any man in Christ is a new creature. And we are to live in that new nature, that new man, which Paul said in verse 24, which was created according to God, notice, in true righteousness and holiness. This shows 
that this is the imputed righteousness of Christ and that everything we do is to be done in harmony with God's holy character. If we're born again by the Spirit of God, God's Spirit from above, we as His children are to reflect His nature. Because we've been declared righteous and we're in Christ and we're seated in the heavenlies. Our walk down here should match our position in Christ. The gospel invitation is to lay down the old self in repentance from sin. Which includes not just being sorry for our sin, but turning away from our sin and turning to God. And then our fourth characteristic of the new walk and the new man is in verse 23 and 24. It's become the new man. Become the new man. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God. Notice how it was created, the new man in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul talks about this transformation in three ways. The first way of transformation that you become transformed in verse 23 is be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The believer should think differently. The believer should have different views. He, should have, he, he or she should have a different thought life. And Paul gave a similar exhortation in Romans 12 too when he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's what you put in it that transform it. Or it's what you put in it that makes it disgusting. It's being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do you do that? Through the, through the reading and learning of the Word of God. The second characteristic there, or the, the second way that we become the new man, it says, verse 24, to put on the new man. This is another way of describing the different behavior believers should show from, uh, show from the world. Our behavior should obviously be different from the behavior of the world. Because the old man represents the old fleshly nature of man or woman, while the new man or woman represents the new spiritual nature of that person, which they receive by being born again. The third characteristic, a way of, of, of becoming uh, uh, renewed in your mind, it is the manners. The manners which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The old man was corrupt according to verse 22. The new man here in verse 24 is described as righteousness and true holiness. The manners of the new man, the new woman, are a lot different compared to the ways of the old man or old woman. Compared to the depraved, degenerate mind of the unregenerate person described in verses 17 and 18, the Christian is renewed continually, continually in the spirit of his mind. The best interpretation of verse 24 could read like this. And being renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self. As the Spirit is renewing you and who you are every day, you're putting on that new life. It's, re- it's being revealed. It's being seen. That life is being changed. This makes it clear that this renewal is the result of putting off the old and putting on the new. Putting off the old man and putting on the new. 
Salvation has to do with the mind. Where thought, understanding, belief, motive, and action take place. When a person becomes a Christian, God starts with renewing their mind. Giving it a totally new spiritual and moral power. Which the most brilliant and educated minds don't have apart from Christ. And they can never have apart from Christ. This renewal continues all through the believer's life as they obey the word and the will of God. It's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time action. It's the continual work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Renewing us day by day. Making us more like Jesus day by day. He's the goal. He's the reflection that we are to walk on. He's the one that we're to reflect. And our resources are the word of God in prayer. It's the word of God in prayer. Through the word and prayer, we put on the mind of Christ. And it's through that mind, his mind, that we live the life of Christ. The renewed spirit of the believer's mind is the result of putting on the new man. And the new creation that's made in the very likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. What was once darkened and ignorant and hardened and sensual and impure and greedy, it's now enlightened. Because it knows the truth and it's sensitive to sin and it's pure and it's generous. Where it was once characterized by wickedness and sin, it's now characterized by righteousness and holiness. And in Colossians 3, Paul calls believers the elect of God, holy and beloved. You are holy because of Jesus. And it's important to know more and more about the image of the new self so that you can understand it better. Now, the word new, new man or new woman, the word new doesn't mean you've been remodeled. It doesn't mean you've been improved or patched up. It means totally new in kind or character. Nothing like it before. The new self is new because it's been created according to God in his likeness. According to what God is. See, this is the awesome truth about the reality of salvation. Those who confess Jesus Christ as their Lord are made like God. Peter said, we have become partakers. We are partakers of the divine nature. And if believers have received the divine nature, the life of Christ, the likeness of God in this new self by an act of of divine creation, then, without a doubt, it must have been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. God cannot create us any other way. He couldn't create us, He couldn't create anything less. Because He's holiness and righteousness, and we've been created in His holiness and righteousness. That's what we are. But it's his holiness and righteousness that enables me to come to him and to stand in his presence. 
So the believer has a new nature, a new self, a holy and righteous inner person that is fit for the presence of God. And that's when one day I stand before him. It's not because of me or anything I've done. My Savior says, Father, he's one of mine. Now I can stand in, his, in the Father's presence because of his Son and what he is to me and what he's done in me because of his sacrifice on the cross. This new man is so righteous and holy that Paul refuses to admit that any sin comes from the new creation in God's image. In other words, when I mess up, that's all me. But whatever is good and righteous, that's all God. It's all God. What Paul says in Romans 6 through 7 is clear in placing the reality of sin other than in the new self. It's in the old man. He said in Romans 6, 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So notice he says, don't let it. That means you can control it. Don't let it have reign in your mortal body. To be exact, don't let sin keep on controlling your body that you should obey the desires of the body. <clears throat> Paul said in Romans 6, 13, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. And the reason that most of us get into trouble is because we present ourselves to the old nature. We give in to the old nature. We give in to the temptation of the old nature. We let it have its way. By choosing to, though, we can present ourselves, on the other hand, to do God's will through the new nature. But you see, whichever nature is going to get the victory is the one that I feed the most. If I feed the old nature or I feed the new nature. If I feed the old nature, the things that I used to do in the world, if I feed the flesh, the fleshly things that I used to do in the world, well, that's the one that's going to win over. But if I feed my new nature, the new nature in Christ, through the reading of the word of God, through prayer, and through coming to church and learning, that's the nature that's going to win. So you have to ask yourself, which nature am I feeding? My fleshly nature or my spiritual nature? Because whichever one you feed the most is the one that's going to get the victory. Even though we won't get rid of our old nature in this life, we are told now to present ourselves to God a living sacrifice. Just as you, just as you presented yourself to do sin back in the old days, oh man, we were a, we were a giving offering in that day to, to sin. We just, whatever we wanted, whatever was out there, you know, we had no problem with it. But here's the Paul says, present yourself now to God a living sacrifice. Present yourself to God as those who are alive from the dead because you are now alive in Christ. You have a new nature. You've been born again and your members now are instruments of righteousness to God. And this deals with what is specific. You know, in other words, he says, and your, member, and your members as righteousness, or as instruments of righteousness to God. Again, what is your real problem? Whatever it might be, give it to God. Is your, is your problem a bad temper? Drugs, alcohol, gossiping, immorality, lying? 
Take it to God. Talk to him about it. You're to give yourself to God. Your members, give them as members of righteousness, instruments of righteousness to God. And don't cop out with, oh, I can't do it, or it's too hard, I tried. You can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry said, many of our can'ts are only the language of idleness which magnifies every difficulty and danger. We are new, though not totally new, as long as we're still in these bodies and on this earth. We're righteous and holy because of Jesus Christ, but not yet perfectly and righteous and holy because, again, we won't be until we're in glory with him when it says we will be like him. But understanding the real nature of our transforming salvation is important if we're to know how to live as Christians in the body of Christ that we belong to. Now, the rest of the letter are ex- are, is exhortations to the believer to bring his body into obedience to the will of God. It's about not grieving the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at next time. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. And you know how you do that? Through self-denial. Self-denial. That's how you do it. Paul controlled his bodily appetites. He controlled the bodily appetites of his flesh rather than the appetites controlling him. And we have that ability because of the power of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. You know, it's that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in us. And this power would stop behavior that could disqualify him from from serving the Lord. The ongoing need of the Christian life is to keep putting off those little bits and pieces of the old sinful life, the old sinful clothing. He said, "Do, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And then Paul begs in Romans 6, 13, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We are to present ourselves to God for holy works. I want to close with this. The simplest illustration of this putting off the old and putting on the new is given in the resurrection of Lazarus in John 11. Remember, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days when Jesus and his disciples got to Bethany. And Martha said, Lord, he's been dead for four days. By now he stinks. But Jesus spoke the word. Remember, he said, Lazarus, come out. That's all he said, Lazarus, come out. And he came out. And the next thing Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Lazarus, take off those grave clothes. Lazarus no longer belonged to the old power of death because he was now alive. Why go around wearing the old grave clothes? Take off the old and put on the new. Because our new life, new mind, new Lord, new nature, 
new desires, new service, and our new power, we're called to live a new lifestyle that matches our new nature. The word of God renews the mind as we surrender our all to him. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as the mind understands the truth of God's word, slowly but surely we're transformed by the Holy Spirit. And this renewing of the mind leads to a changed life. Physically, you are what you eat. But spiritually, you are what you think. Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And this is why it's so important that for us, as Christians, to spend time daily meditating on the Word, praying, and fellowshipping with Christ. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful chapter, Lord. Powerfully chapter, powerful, Lord. A powerful chapter. But Lord, it's only as good as we allow it to be in our life, Father. Lord, help us to understand that we're only his sheep if we hear his voice and we follow him. That's important to understand. If we're a child of God, Nowhere in the Bible does it say Christians go to heaven. It talks about the child of God going to heaven. It's not a title that gets us into heaven. It's not what we're called that gets us into heaven. It's who is my father? Am I a child of God? In John 1, 12, John said, For those who received him, notice, for those who received him, he gave them the power and the authority to become children of God. Notice, he has to be received. He has to be in my life, part of my life. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as we're praying, but God's word has spoken to your heart and you recognize, I, I need to make things right with God or I need to be right with, I need to be born again. And I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's, what God is putting on your heart this morning as we're all praying. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, lift up your hand real quick and just put it back down afterwards. Anybody at all? Father, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy. We thank you for your word, God, that leads us and guides us into all truth, Father. Lord, help us to continue to keep our eyes on you, Lord, and you be our priority, our all in all, our supply. Father, we thank you for the offering we'll receive today. Father, we thank you again for your goodness, your generosity, for always taking care of us, God, like a good father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
All right. Tonight, as always, 